did have quite possibly the best round I've ever had of Ascension Chronicle of the God Slayer. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> so welcome to VR Hermits episode three. And uh, what are we going to talk about this week? We're just going to talk about where we are in Unreal Engine education and then talk a little bit about game development. Is that right? Yep. And then if there's time, we can talk about uh, what games we're playing and how we may or may not have lost control of the Steam Summer Sale. There is that. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'm done with it. (laughs) That's what you say, but there's so much more time, Joe. Nope. There's always it, time to buy more games. No. no. Let me tell you about one of my personal favorites. The sale is over. I'm not having it. I think I spent For, more on books this weekend, or more on games this weekend, than I did on books like the last six months, which is usually books are the most expensive hobby of mine. For reference to those listening at home, based upon the current date, the sale goes on for another 10 or 11 days. But Joe's clocking out early. Tapping out, I think, is the right term. (laughs) So, yeah. um, So you had a chance to start the, I guess, the small course that we talked about last week. There are two Unreal Engine courses that we have been referring to. One of them is a large... 55 hour course that's been out for a couple of years and the other one came out relatively recently and is about 15 hours that takes a more um more visual focus at least from what i've seen so far so i guess before we talk about that one i wanted to touch on the big course that i said last week i was trying to focus on finishing that up and i i tried to do that and then i gave up yeah um, it's just me, I guess, but I was just frustrated by their teaching. Like they, when I, when I want to learn something new, I want the most amount of information in the least amount of time. That's why I listen to podcasts at two or three times the speed. That's why <laughs> I read, you know, sometimes hundreds of blog posts a week. That's why you know, I sit down and read dozens or hundreds of pages of web documentation at a time. I just want to dump all the information in my head and let it stew and do something with it later. But this course is sometimes they take 10 or 15 minutes to say one sentence worth of stuff in Unreal Engine. And I find that very frustrating. So they started a new arc. I got about halfway into that arc and then showed me some really cool stuff with blueprints. And then it was, okay, now let's refactor all of this into C++, which is going to break the entire game for like five or six hours worth of videos. I'm like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) I'm done. Like, delete the repo on, you know, archive the course. Like, this is a complete waste of my time. This is not how I learn. I'm sure lots of people are benefiting from that course, but Mm -hmm. I I did not learn at that that kind of pace. So, yeah, I gave up on that and then uh, spent the next morning just reading through about half of the Unreal Engine documentation on the web. Um, I'll half the week. documentation? Pretty much. Like, not every single function, but okay. the editor documentation. So okay. we do all the different editors and things like that. Not reading through every class and function in hierarchy. 
Although I'm the kind of person that would do that if I had time. Give it time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I spent most of the rest of Friday working on this other course, which I made hardly any progress on. I think I made it about an hour and a half into the course out of 15 hours, but I spent about 10 hours on that. Not because it was slow, but because he immediately showed me a ton of stuff very fast. And then I paused the video and just played and made stuff, made things go and like made a house and then tore it down and made another one and tore it down and made another one and deleted the project and made another one. And like just learning more and more about how to build things you know, just starting with geometry and then starting to introduce static meshes and um, working with lighting, things like that. Like it was just really fascinating how much, how much more to learn there was in these short 10 or 15 minute videos than the other course that I had just given up on. Yeah. I, uh, I started playing with those videos myself. That was my starting point. Uh, mm-hmm. For reference, to those at home, the course in question is Unreal Engine 4, How to Develop Your First Two Games. Yeah. And I'm not used to watching the first 20 minutes of video and it taking an hour. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> nobody nobody goes that quickly. But he's going through the the stuff that's in, like, the documentation browser and where the roadmap is and things like that. I'm pausing in the first three minutes. Like, whoa, wait a second. Where was that? Let me go hunt that down and let me go look at this. Tons of data in there. I'm, if he maintains the same pace through the rest of the thing, it's both awesome and terrifying. Yeah, that's the pace that I want. Oh, yeah. Just throw it at me. Let me figure it out. I don't want the other course was was guilty of this kind of opinionated approach of, you know, early on in the course, I heard him say something along the lines of, like, don't ever use four spaces, always use a tab or the opposite. <laughs> like, I, I don't care. Like, d- don't tell people that. Let people figure that out for themselves. And just the whole the whole course is full of opinionated, quote unquote, best practices. Like, no, just this is irrelevant. I want to learn how to use these tools. Yeah, when we've talked about this before, but when uh, in some of my previous learning experiences. One of my favorites was doing the, uh, coding boot camps mm-hmm. and going in there and spending like an entire week fully immersed in the subject. And even then they were moving very quickly because they were trying to f- like cover the content from an entire, you know, 350, 400 page textbook in a week. And I loved it. It was just like, open up my brain, peel the top back and just shove data in until I can't handle anymore. And then I go home, I go back to my room, go to sleep, wake up the next morning and do it all over again. Yeah. I've never done one of those. I've always imagined that you're sitting in this crowded barracks like environment. And if your code doesn't compile, you have to do push ups or something like that. (laughs) It sounds intimidating. Uh, It's way less horrible than that. But it is a we lot should, of code. Yeah. We should do a, a VR boot camp. I don't know if any exist. Wow. wow. Okay. If I don't have to leave the house, then I'm, I'm all for it. Wait, wait, wait. You're supposed to go. That's part of the thing. No, no, no. No, do it in VR. Oh, oh, gotcha. I don't know if I want to spend 12 hours a day in VR. Yeah. 
At least not today. Not until we have like glasses sized HUDs. So you started this course as well. You said you made it just a little ways. What did you learn? Um, in the, the first section was all about just the cool stuff and kind of the launcher. Um, I hadn't looked at the, I, I knew that unreal engine had a roadmap and that it was public, but I hadn't looked at it. Yeah. That's, that's insane. That's amazing. I mean, it, I, I, my background is in, uh, primarily Apple focused development environments even when they have cross-platform elements. I was working in FileMaker Pro, uh, Xcode, things like that. And as a general rule of thumb, you don't know anything they're working on until it's released. Mm -hmm. Now, Apple's loosened up on a couple of those things recently, but not much. FileMaker's gotten a little bit more open, but this is amazing. Um, It's And I didn't think about it, but I particularly liked his comment that um, with the roadmap, if you're struggling with a particular thing, you can look at the roadmap and find out that they've completely rewritten that engine or have planned to release a whole bunch of bug fixes in that section in the very next release. Mm -hmm. You can go, okay, I'm just going to put that on the back burner for a while and move on and come back to that on the very next Unreal Engine version and see if that makes things better. Yeah. And that's yeah, a huge awesome. difference of that's a huge difference of just like I think we've done it in FileMaker the most of like basically making entire features that are really just a workaround for a flaw in the software. I would say or limitation, a, but sure. Yeah, sometimes a flaw, sometimes a limitation. Yeah. I would call the the windowing on Windows for all of its existence until this year a flaw. Okay. They they fixed the flaw this year. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, so yeah. that was neat stuff. And actually, at one point in the background, I had that Unreal, uh, not Unreal Engine, the Unreal Tournament thing downloading that 35 gig of content. Nice. Because um, they've got the entire Unreal Engine, I'm sorry, Unreal Tournament project files for unreal engine available for download. And it's a community project. So as a research opportunity, that's really interesting, but maybe someday I could contribute a gunfire effect or something like that. And that would also be really cool. And so I basically always skipped like the launcher was stupid (laughs) Because all I did was open the launcher and then use that to launch another application. Why am mm-hmm. I doing this? This is silly. Yeah. And the answer is no. There's a whole. You just didn't understand what was going on there. Oh, okay, cool. I can I can deal with that. There's a bunch of templates. There's a bunch of uh, example content to use that's not in the template library. And then obviously, there's the marketplace. Yeah. Well, and I don't have enough knowledge yet to actually make use of the marketplace substantively. Mm-hmm. So. All, there there was all sorts of neat stuff there. I just didn't know anything about it. So having somebody give me a quick, I mean, it's a, what, a five-minute walkthrough? Quick guided course on where that stuff is and what's going on was was really nice, actually. And it was a very quick walkthrough. Faster than probably the amount of time I've spent talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, I do like just looking at the marketplace briefly. I, I like the fact that I saw 
people just selling basically code snippets, like blueprints and things like that. Like, here's how I figured out how to do this thing, and you can buy it for $10. And it's just a neat way of, like, I guess not just sharing code, but also kind of recouping some of the time and money you spend on it when you... You know, we've all, anyone who's been in software development for a while realizes, like, so if you're working on a custom project, it really doesn't make sense to, to do everything in the perfectly abstract way that programmers dream of. Sometimes you just have to get the work done and write the code that works. And sometimes you have a feature that you know you can abstract away and make it really awesome, but it's just not worth it for the project that you're working on. But if you're going to have two of those or three of those or 30 of those, then it becomes worth it. And having a place to distribute that kind of thing, like, you know, I made this new armor system for this tank. Uh, you know, I think other people could benefit from it, put it in the store. I think that's pretty cool. They wouldn't really have anything like that in FileMaker um, aside from just passing files back and forth. But there's definitely no marketplace. No, that was one of the things that uh, Court Bowman was talking about starting at one point and mm -hmm. apparently never quite got off the ground. But yeah, I mean, there's there's always an opportunity there. Um, yeah. So then you got into geometry? Yeah, getting into geometry. I ended up having a couple of problems. I was running it on uh, my iMac in Mac OS. Okay. And bumped into some stability issues. I think those are specific to the machine. Mm -hmm. This machine's had kernel panic problems in the past. Um, but while I was playing with that and playing around with the geometry, I had a little bit of stability trouble. I'm probably going to switch over to Windows anyway to keep going. But... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just it was neat just checking out the, the geometry tools, the additive and subtractive stuff. Um, this is probably an appropriate time to comment. This stuff is so low level that I am sure that all of this stuff exists in other engines. Mm -hmm. Today, for now, we're talking about Unreal Engine. We could totally have something happen in two weeks that makes us both convert completely to Unity. So this is not an endorsement of Unreal's way of doing it. Or saying that Unreal is better, and if you're a uh, Unity developer sitting in the background going, well, gosh, that's so much better in Unity. It's not an issue at this point. Mm -hmm. um, but one thing, one thing that I'm curious about with Geometry is he mentioned in his video, and a couple other people have mentioned in other sources that I've, I've either read or watched, of don't rely on Geometry too much. It's not very performant. Use static meshes as soon as possible. So, like he, he even mentioned like we're going to use this geometry to draw out the scene, but you should really replace this with static mesh assets later. And I put, I have a little notes file just called research topics, and put that at the top of the list. Like I've heard that multiple times, but I want to know why. Like what, what is happening underneath both of these things? Why is one more efficient than the other? And if that's the case, then why? Why is geometry here, and why is it so ridiculously easy and accessible to use, and why is every course starting with it? Like, it seems like everybody is, you know, hey, check this out. And by the way, now that you know about that, try not to use that. <laughs> it's probably because it's just good for um, navigating around the scene. 
you have to keep flipping around to the backside of things and moving around and getting different perspectives on stuff to make sure you're moving things in the right way. But that said, I have no idea. But beyond that, I don't actually know what a static mesh is right now either. Yeah. Like we, in my course, he hasn't even mentioned it. So um, you're a little bit ahead of me. Like I noticed just in some of the uh, template files, like the, if you just create a new, a new project and Mm -hmm. pick one of the templates, I did the uh, VR template earlier and I noticed that the floor was geometry and the walls were static mesh. Mm-hmm. Like so, even Unreal Engine, who's making that template, even they're like using a combination of both under certain circumstances. So I'm just trying to figure out, you know, when is the best time for the right for which of these tools? Because obviously, if if geometry was just bad, and nobody should use it. They would just get rid of it. I would think, but then not necessarily. I guess you've always got to support backward compatibility. There's tons of stuff in FileMaker that, frankly, nobody should use, but it's got to stay there, or it's going to break old files if they bring them forward yeah um again still not really knowing exactly what a static mesh is how or how it works or in our case what the advantage is Mm -hmm. this actually ties into a later topic when we start talking about game design um it's probably also really useful for prototyping Mm -hmm. let me throw four cubes out make a simple maze now here's a guy he walks through the maze there's a stairway go yeah it's definitely pretty cool for prototyping because i built a couple little houses with it and some of that i replaced with static meshes from the the content they provided in the course but most of it most of the the structure of the house was just cubes and cylinders and stuff like that yeah well we're gonna have to figure that out and come back and tell everybody because we don't know yet yeah so right after where you are not, not to spoil it for you, but he got into this. Basically, the, this first chapter is architectural visualization. So he's not super worried about performance considerations. We are making a really nice looking place. So they provided a bunch of assets, and then he just walks through making a room with some furniture and some, you know, decorating it and applying materials to all the services and then doing lighting and things like that. And that's the part of the course where I saw him do like a couple of minutes just laying out the structure of the room. And then I paused the video and spent like five hours just playing. <laughs> awesome. It, it, yeah. Like he'd show me just enough of the tools and I had learned enough about the editor at that point from the other courses that I had just, I kind of knew where to go to find stuff. And I was importing assets from elsewhere and put some, you know, starter content. in. it was just like, you know, trying all different kinds of styles of things and it was just a lot of fun you know every time i unpause the course i would learn something else i think the the most complicated stuff that i've gotten to so far was with lighting so lighting is just very complicated at least it feels really complicated to me um and i guess that's one of the things that makes unreal engine so powerful is that it can make such realistic lighting stuff but for the type of games that I want to make, I don't think I'm going to be relying on these super advanced techniques very often, um, mainly because they would blow performance in a VR game. But uh, some of the stuff he showed was like, you can make things look ridiculously realistic, like absurdly realistic. Mm-hmm. Why, like, why is this possible on a computer? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, 
I, I still remember having my head blown by like N64 videos that came in the mail. And I'm looking at this, I'm like, I, I can, we're adjusting the, you know, basically the shadow between the sunlight and the dark part of the room and how it looks on the green, uh, the grains in the wood on the floor. Like, uh-huh. this is, this is ridiculous. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, having said that that's awesome, I don't come anywhere near having the artistic ability to ever do a game where I would probably spend much time at that level of detail. No, I definitely, I I, I have no, I guess if I was making a short experience, then that kind of polish would be a lot of fun to really spend time on. Like a a short narrative, you know, one Mm -hmm. hour long game. That that thing would be that would be really fun, but for something that needs to be replayable, you know, mm-hmm. more an action based thing, I wouldn't spend that type. I couldn't invest that type of time. Or, or something. for example, if you're working on the plank and something like Richie's plank experience, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. something where you want this, this it it has to be a, the more immersive the plank is, the more immersive everything is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And side note, he I heard him on a podcast, and apparently, when he has his friends and family try the plank, he actually puts a wooden plank on the floor and makes them walk across that. <laughs> that just feels wrong. <laughs> I love it. I've loved yeah. that idea since I heard about it. It'd be even funnier. Nah, never mind. What we're just getting in, we're just getting into violence at this point. <laughs> Hurting your friends is less funny. I'm I'm more worried about the vibe. Oh, that's worse. Yeah, yeah. Don't hurt the vibe. So yeah, I've learned a ton in basically just you know Thursday evening and Friday morning, and. uh yeah, I mean, I've still got a lot of that course left to do. Um, on this same education topic, you've known me long enough to know, and you've called me out for this in the past, but it occurred to me yesterday morning that I'm kind of doing what I have done before, which is spend way too much time learning a new thing and not enough time doing anything with it. So Friday was good as I you know, paused the course a lot and, and did my own thing for a while, but I hadn't been doing much of that with the other course or the documentation. It was just following along. And uh, I have a tendency to basically hide behind, oh, I need to finish this thing before I can start to the next thing and kind of not necessarily drag it out, but I'll always have something else that I, I, I should be working on this before I start doing the hard stuff. So I need to kind of knock that off again now that I've identified myself doing it. And actually start building something, even if it's just something limited or even if it's something that I never ship or have any intention of shipping. I just need to start actually making stuff because that's where I'm really going to learn the most is actually making stuff and failing and running into issues and fixing those issues and failing some more things like that. But just, you know, walking through somebody else's step by step instructions, there's no problem solving there. Right. Well, good. Then what are you going to work on? Um, I'm not going to say. Oh. 
I have identified my first game idea. I know I've said that to you three or four times. Um, and every time the previous one goes down a notch in the list. But uh, I, I, <laughs> so so every time you say that, it's not the same game. No. OK, good. Definitely. Definitely not. I think we're four games in. OK. Um, I've got uh, a project in Todoist where I capture these ideas. I think I've got 16 VR game ideas. And then in the bad game ideas, I think I've got another 12. I have no shortage of ideas. It's more about execution. But uh, I, I have an idea that I think is completely original. I haven't been able to find anybody else doing anything even, even close to this. And it's something that would be really, really fun with the Vive controllers. And something that I could just be completely absurd with and just have a lot of fun developing it. Um, and it would be really weird. So I'm not going to say too much more about it right now. But uh, I've got a, a fascinating, to me anyway, game mechanic to work with. And then need to basically kind of design fun around that and add in other things. Not necessarily to fill in, because I think the mechanic itself is going to be something that... It, it, just the game mechanic itself is going to be the game. That's going to be the fun part. Um, so making an environment to use that mechanic is going to be where most of the work comes in. So obviously there's, I've never, I, I shouldn't say I've never made a game before because I did make an iOS game. You published um, a game. I did. I have, uh, unsu- I have successfully made a game that nobody wants, as you put it at some point. Um, but if you're wondering, that is called Random Arrow. It is on the iOS App Store, and it is a. It basically generates random arrows, and you have to swipe in the direction that they point, and it gets more difficult over time. And arrows start kind of faking you out and showing up in the wrong places, and becoming more difficult to see, or turning, or things like that. Um, it was basically just a project that I used to learn more about Sprite Kit, and then. Learning about Sprite Kit made me want to learn about Unity, and then learning about Unity made me want to learn about Unreal Engine. So here we are. <laughs> so, Random Arrow was my gateway drug into VR, essentially. <laughs> I'm still saying we got to start with the VR version of Random Arrow. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be that hard. It would be boring. But uh, it wouldn't be difficult. <laughs> well, just to just as a learning exercise, not as a publishing exercise. I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll do that. It'll be my yeah. turn to make Random Arrow. Yeah. I'll license it out to you. Okay, good. I'll okay. license the IP. Yeah. Just just 80% of the gross? Is that the... <laughs> Something like that. You, you and Pokemon. Yeah. So you haven't designed video games, but you do have a background. Right, I shouldn't say you haven't designed video games. You haven't designed VR games, but you do have a background in game design. Um, a much more nerdy type of game design, if that if that's possible. <laughs> so can Different. you can you share your experience? Sure. Um, I uh, a couple years ago got into board game design. And interestingly enough, it came out of wanting to do video game design. Mm-hmm. Um, I gotten pretty burnt out on business applications and wanted to learn some game design, learned early Sprite Kit 
um, and, 2D. and Cocos 2D. This was actually like I was taking the iOS game development boot camp during the day that um, that Sprite Kit was actually officially released. So the first three days were all Cocos 2D and the last two days were all Sprite Kit. Um, <clears throat> so it was a nice thing as kind of a change of pace, sat down to start working on making a video game. And suddenly it just felt too much like the same code that I'd always been writing. The end result was different, mm-hmm. but it was still the same code. So I said, okay, I got to like step away from this a little bit. My favorite games that I end up playing most with my friends in iOS are usually asynchronous board game type things. Even the more complicated ones, if it's asynchronous, you can almost always boil it down to a board game of some kind. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if it's moving guys around a map and having them shoot, I've got board games that play that way. So I said, let's go back to the beginning, ignore the computer side entirely, and just design a board game. And started playing with very simple concepts and put together what I think is a pretty decent card game. Um, Most of the people who have played it have liked it very much. I haven't gotten around to getting it published, but that's more of a business issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm bad at that side. Like if I really want to get this thing published, what I need to be doing is going to conferences and, and like bothering every single game publisher around saying, let me show you my game and things of that variety. And that just happens to be something that I'm very bad at. So I don't, I don't think you're bad at that. I just think you don't want to do it. You successfully did that with your, your day job project. No, you built built a compelling thing uh and you went to people and said, who wants to help me publish this? And you found a good publisher. Mm hmm. But I personally knew most of those people before knocking on their door. That's true. You're, you're well known in that community. Um, so I contacted four or five of the biggest names in software publishing within that market and said, hey, I got this. You interested? And picked one of them. And then that person handles going and bothering all the individual users. So it sounds like you need to become a bigger deal in the board game industry. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, if I can get get a name in some of these communities or something like that, that'd be fantastic. But some of that's going to have to wait. Or publish it as a mobile game and then later on magically come up with the card version. (laughs) Look, we ported it to reality. Uh Uh-huh. I could totally do that. Um, Unfortunately, that's now vying with time for I've got my next board game idea that I want to do, which Mm -hmm. is going to be a heck of a lot of fun, but I got to do it. So lots and lots of cool ideas for things to do. Not nearly enough time. And I'm telling you, playing card games in VR there's a market for that. <laughs> could maybe do something there. Yeah. Like you just kind of let people design their own space, kind of like the, the Steam Room Builder, Steam VR Room Builder, or whatever it's called. 
you know, design a, a basement to play Dungeons and Dragons in. <laughs> occasionally, occasionally have some kind of parental figure yell down the stairs. And, oh man, you could make that so awesome. Yeah, I think you should do it. You may actually get me to play some of these games that way. Wow. Okay. Am I gonna? Am I gonna have to cut this out? <laughs> no. No. If the, the, again. Too many ideas, not nearly enough time. If somebody wants to go and make a fantastic version of that, go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was v- momentarily reminded of, um, did you ever see the Borderlands games? Mm-hmm. Um, there was a uh, add-on for uh, Borderlands 2 that was themed around an RPG where all the characters get together and one of the characters is running this adventure where they're all going into like a dungeon and they go strolling in and she's like, and then a giant dragon lands on you and kills you all. <laughs> that doesn't sound like very much fun. Okay, fine. You're all alive again. And you just see all the characters pop back up. Um, <clears throat> yeah, could be fun. You get buffs yeah. and debuffs based upon what mom says. Yeah. Anyway, so um, maybe that'll be our bad game idea. T- I yeah, bad game idea exploration for the day. Um, but going through this process, and then honestly, for years before that, I was doing a lot of research into game design and concepts and ideology and stuff like that. Um, but then really getting to apply it on the card game was very nice because. It's so fast to be able to iterate. Mm -hmm. Like if I want to pass cards to players, I have to actually define a card object. Even if it's just, even if I just faked it and it's a piece of geometry, I have to have a set of those that have particular things so I can pass them out to people. And then based upon that, have them, I mean, I I could leave all the business logic out of it, but still have to handle the physicality of it. Mm -hmm. And the first version of my card game was about, uh, 20 index cards with a couple of numbers and words written on them. (laughs) And I could deal them out at a fake table of four people and like, move around the table and look at people's cards and decide on what I was going to do. And that was version one. And it seemed kind of interesting. So I made something just a teeny bit nicer with a laser printer, printing out the cards on like normal paper and sliding those inside a uh, card sleeve for like magic of the gathering Mm -hmm. with a normal bicycle playing card behind it to keep it stiff. So I just kind of refaced bicycle playing cards and then went to some friends and said, hey, let's play this. And everybody had a great time. And I just kept iterating on that concept. But starting from like the very simplest prototype you can Mm -hmm. and like implementing the part that you think is going to be good. Yeah. Um, One, One of the takeaways that I did get from the larger course was basically working through the game design document that a lot of people refer to. Everybody's got different opinions on how to write one of those. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of them get really complicated because you're dealing with 
teams of developers and multi-year projects. Um, but for my for myself, I'm just going to write a a minimalistic game design document. Um, but they really suggested to write out as basic as possible what the game is, why is it going to be fun, essentially. Mm-hmm. Identify the resources that you need for the game, whether it's you know static meshes and materials or audio or voiceover work, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, and then identify kind of challenges, like, okay, I need to learn this new technology. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in this case... I needed to learn all of the new technology. Um, <laughs> but then once you start actually working on the project, they really suggested working in this iterative process where you you get something working and running as soon as possible. So kind of I, I realized that I had done this with Random Arrow, you know, nobody had taught me to. It just felt like the way to do it where I got... I had the idea for the game, and I got something working within a day, even though it was just a placeholder. The entire game was essentially a placeholder. Um, <clears throat> so doing that with a, a more complicated game, where, say, you've, you've got to build a house, like I did this week in that tutorial, you know, use the geometry, build a ground, build some temporary walls, put a roof on, put some stuff in it. Just put some squares in it and call them a couch, call them a chair, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then get that working and then start replacing things with assets. So this same kind of concept of working through the iterative process of like identify the stages of the project, whether it's, you know, build the player, build the AI controller, build the, I don't know, the scorekeeping system, build the user interface the game and then keep going in the circle around those things and improving them and the way they did it was work until you have something that's good and then stop every once in a while and identify the least fun thing in the game and move on to that mm. so like what what is least fun right now is not being able to keep score or what is least fun right now is not being able to save things like that so that was you know kind of a good idea but as far as actually designing the game my tendency is just to do it like a software project where i do a big brain dump of what i'm going to build and then start to organize that into notes and start to organize that into more of a hierarchy and then to create features from that but i'm not sure if that's going to serve me in this case i don't have any, any reason to believe that it won't but this is a very different development process as, as i saw friday it's really easy for me to just get completely off the rails and spend five hours not even realizing that time is passing, <laughs> just doing one thing. Um, so I guess, how would you approach just taking the idea out of your head and putting it on paper or in a notes and then going from there? It, your your idea of starting with a very simple document, not a bad idea. Um, in a... The the trick, though, is that you really want to like we learned a lot in the FileMaker business app development world of spec out a large project, build a large project. Mm-hmm. And almost all of that is wrong for what we're trying to do now. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, the reason I don't have confidence in the feature list I do that I normally do is usually when I build a feature list, that's the 
that's where I draw the line in the sand. That's when I'm building this far and no farther. Mm-hmm. And everything on that list has to get built the way it was documented. I can't do that with a game. I right. can't predict what's going to be fun at this point. Or if I do, I'll, I'll have rigid parameters in which to develop and, and I may end up developing something that's not fun at all. Mm-hmm. So I think identifying the big pieces and then iterating through them is seems like a much more natural approach. Yeah, the two big things that I've done most recently have followed that general pattern where the game, the board game started with the simplest stuff possible. It was the the three by five cards and and sharpie markers, and that's the game. And the part that had the most iteration was probably the scorekeeping. Um, <clears throat> there's some kind of hit point mechanic to it. The soldiers that you have that are that are dying and moving that scoreboard from being in front of each player to being in the middle of the board so that everybody saw everybody's score in relation to their own constantly completely rewired the dynamics of the game. Yeah. But that was the fifth iteration of scorekeeping. Um, so that probably went through more than anything else. The first version of my desktop app and is a business app, but it got built very much along the same lines, at least initially, because I didn't know exactly what I was making when I started. I had some cool technology, and I was trying to apply the cool technology. And so for the purposes of this discussion, we'll call that fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first version was like a list of questions you could ask down the left-hand side. And when you clicked on it, a text space on the right would show you the result of your question. And that was it. Yep. That was the whole thing. It was like, just give me the answers. Let me move on with my life. And it was like, no, I need a table. No, I need some deeper navigation. Some of these questions have sub questions and things like that. And so the interface as it currently exists now is probably the fourth major iteration. Yeah. But each of the earlier iterations was relatively simple. I, I, built it just enough so that I could play with it and start walking around in it and then went, nope, not going to do it. (laughs) And so didn't keep polishing that until I had something that was really able to handle like, okay, I, I see where the game flow is going to be. I see where the fun is. This is going to be understandable. Now we can start polishing these elements because for the most part, no amount of polish is going to make something unfun fun. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something I thought of earlier. Like I need to, as I start this project, I need to make sure that I'm really good at giving up on bad ideas. If something isn't fun, don't try to make it fun. Or if something just isn't working, I need, I need to quit quickly rather than drag time out um, for you know, days or weeks or months trying to get something to work that's not going to work. Well, I mean, if you know that you can still follow your brain, Mm -hmm. and if your brain is really sure, it's like, no, 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 there's fun here. I haven't found it yet, but there's totally fun here. You know, if you try it three or four different ways and you still can't find the fun, there's a part in your brain that's either going to go, 
no, seriously, I can totally find this. This is here. Or there's a part of your brain that's going to go, you know what? <laughs> Turns out this isn't very fun. Um, but yeah, listening to that part of your brain yeah, will be good. And that's the part of my brain that I usually have to turn off when I'm doing a consulting project. Ah, yes. Like, oh, this isn't fun. Too bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to get done. Well, as I said before, you know, for a given value of fun, in the case of the business applications, the fun is in like client satisfaction. Yeah, the fun is definitely working with the people that I work with. But well, some of the stuff that I've got to do to figure out their business cases isn't always fun. I work yeah. with some pretty interesting people and you know sometimes like one project it varies from project to project and season to season. One project may be completely fascinating of like oh okay we need to solve this thing you've got you're you're doing this task and it's taking a ridiculous amount of your staff's time and attention and destroying creativity in the office so let's automate this and make it a non-issue and that's really fun. But then there are other things of like for compliance reason, we have to do this thing, even though we don't want to do it, the government makes us do it. And mm-hmm. that those kind of features, nobody really likes making those, except for some guy named Roy. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. No, Roy, Roy has a very nice business doing exactly that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about... Uh, in this case, I'm talking about a, a way more subjective definition of fun to the point that we're not talking about fun. Fun is, in in what I'm talking about, is whatever the system that you're producing is supposed to produce more of. Mm-hmm. So maybe it is, you know, in a business application, it might be confidence or it might be advice or, and so trying to like sculpt the system so that the people who are using it know what they're supposed to do and how to do it. In the case of a game, your end objective will, in most cases, be fun. Now, I don't want to get into the, the textbook definition of games because there are amazing games that are not fun. They can make you feel horrible. There's all the games as art stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some amazing games out there that don't, that, that at the end you aren't going, wow, that was fun. No, yeah. not so much, but it doesn't make them bad games. It's just their fun was operating under a, a way looser definition of fun. Um, cool. So yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to count the funds in that last couple of minutes. <laughs> <clears throat> go through afterwards and just put a little ding in like there's a little counter going yeah ding. maybe ding. one of the listeners can do that for us <laughs> um so yeah i mean it, it's the at the beginning the big key is not committing too hard mm-hmm. not getting yourself you know your uh house with the couch metaphor. It's like you don't, even if you're working with the geometry and having fun working with the geometry, don't sculpt every single piece of furniture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not going to make the game more fun. Um, until it's fun. And then you can go in and sculpt every piece of furniture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I put, when I put the first couch in, I just put a cube and stretch it out into a rectangle. 
Yeah, voila, a couch. Like, that's where a couch will go. So yeah, that's uh, game design. Obviously, I get a lot more yeah. to learn. I'll have more to share as I get more into this. So I guess this week, what I'm planning on doing is spending some time working my way through this course, whether or not I finished it or not, I have no idea. Um, spending some time on documentation. But for the most part, I need to spend, I don't know, 60, 70% of my day each day just making stuff, whether it's towards the project that I'm working on or just one of the kind of the playground projects that I've got. That's something that I did this weekend was just create a project to play in. Like here is just a, a project file, import a bunch of starter content, import some things from other templates, put it in VR and just go in there and start playing around um, just to get used to like, okay, I, I need to make a material. I'll, I'll go do it here and then try it out. Um, or I want to try something from the marketplace, have some place to dump it into and play with it before I put it into a project. So I, I may actually develop that playground into the shape of my living room so that I can actually, you know, have a couch in VR that is positioned where my couch in the room is, things like that. That's kind of awesome. Like it would be easy enough to do since I'm not doing it for anybody else. It would be easy enough for me to map that stuff out. The only problem is you're going to have to sit in the couch outside the space defined by the um, chaperone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have the chaperone grid in front of you the whole time. I can turn it off. There is that. And actually, if you have everything in the room mapped out into VR, you won't really need the chaperone. Mm-hmm. Because you'll know when you're about to put your hand through your television. Yeah. And I don't I don't really even need to map out the details. I just need to know generally where the couch is, where is the desk. Um, the desk chair is the only thing that really moves around a lot. Although I did see somebody a couple months ago put a tracker, one of the Vive trackers, on their desk chair. I thought that was mm-hmm. pretty cool. So, I, you know, I could totally do that. Not going I'm, to, but... I'm totally thinking I might need to pick up a tracker or two. I... It's on my wish list. Mainly, I want to pick up two of them and then two of the foot straps because there's a developer <laughs> who made this kind of a. It's very, very similar to Dance Dance Revolution, but mm-hmm. I think much more creative. And uh, instead of using canned music, you just pass it a YouTube URL of something you want to listen to, and it uses machine learning to create the dance steps for you in the game. So bring your own music. Nice. Yeah. Don't even get me. Don't even get me started on wanting to learn about machine learning and stuff. Oh, too many things I want to learn about. So that's what I'm doing this week. What are you doing this week? Uh, now that I've started, I want to do more of this course. Yeah. Um, this guy is very good. He's very casual, but also very thorough at the same time. Yeah. Well, it, the thing that I got out of it was he seems to have prepared. Yeah. Like, I don't know if he wrote the entire script out, but he knew exactly what he was going to say when he got into each of these sections. Now, I'm just at the very beginning, but that that was the immediate impression I got. Some of the other ones aren't as they don't feel as scripted, but he he gets in and just starts making stuff. But he doesn't, at no point does he say, make this or go do this. It's more of like, this is what I'm going to do. You could do it this way or you could try something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not as prescriptive as the other 
course. It was it's just like the the goal of this exercise is to design a room. You don't have to make my room. Just make a room. And and what I've been working on looks absolutely nothing like what he's working on. Like I have a glass roof because I can. Things like that. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna work on the coursework some more. Um, learn some more stuff for next week. I mean, that was, I knew once I started, I wasn't really going to be able to put it down, mm-hmm. which is good. Yeah, definitely. Um, cause I want to, I do want to pick up a bunch of knowledge and maybe on that plane flight that I've got in a month, maybe that's what I'll do. The entire flight is just sit there and make VR stuff, which would be awesome. Yeah. Take, are you going to take a headset with you and pick no. up Pick up an Oculus for the week and take it with you. No, no, not unless I figure out how to make like a VR plug-in thing for my business app. Um, considered that a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Database visualization and design tools. Yeah. In VR, at some point somebody's going to do it, and it's going to be awesome. I'm just not sure I'm that guy, and I'm pretty sure today's not that day. <laughs> Yeah, I think AR would be like some of the charting stuff would be more fun in AR where you could just, uh, you know, put an iPad on a table, like at an angle and throw the charts out on the table, things like that. Well, you don't really need the iPad on the table. It's each person with their iPhone. And you're like, boom, chart now fills the table. Big 3D terrain-y sort of thing. You kind of point at stuff and people can see it. Yeah. And we talked a couple weeks ago about AR and this is like, this is, in my opinion, this is a necessary step in AR of like, let's all hold phones and iPads up. But I'm like, this is the part of it that I want to get past as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't want millions of people walking around holding their phone up in the air and saying, this is the future. I'm like, no, this is just now the future needs to be way better than this. Like I, I want, Goggles or contact lenses or brain surgery. <laughs> I don't care. Just I want to see stuff everywhere. I, I'm totally with you. One of the things that I'm starting to develop this small fear of in the back of my head is some of this AR is amazing looking. Yeah. Um, I saw a video today of a guy who had um, uh, basically done like a, a biplane sort of thing. It was a, or maybe it was just like a Piper Cub, just a small airplane. And they had placed it in the middle of like a tennis court. And he's just walking around, kind of. The video was called like pre flighting the plane, kind of walking around, looking at the plane. And the thing is, that plane relatively close to look like it was there. Yeah. It was not twitching around on the ground or whatever. So imagine what happens when with our current amazing security abilities, somebody figures out how to add cars to the road. (laughs) It's, it's this really subtle virus that just infects all of these people and just puts extra cars on the road. So you're constantly in traffic even if there's nobody there. Nice. I mean, it, just, or ball rolls out in the street or dog or something like that. I mean, just, just the, or, um, 
you can cover things with other things. Dave. So quit, quit giving the dystopia <laughs> ideas. <laughs> oh, I, I, I can't possibly try to dream faster than the dystopia. So that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at VRHermit underscore Dave. And I'm at VRHermit underscore Joe. Uh, we also have a website, VRHermits.com. If you could, like us on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or your podcast player of choice. 